Hey, what's going on, everyone? We are so glad you're choosing to take time out of your day to listen to our sermons. Our prayer for you is that these messages would not replace your belonging to a local church, but would only be supplemental in your walk with Jesus. With that being said, we love you, and we hope you enjoy the message today. the Lord. So wherever you are, however you're tuning in and watching this, we want you to engage in worship. Come to your feet, put your hands together, lift your voices up, and give God some praise this morning. Come on, church. And the walls between us, by the cross you came and broke them down. You broke them down. There were chains around us, by your grace we are no longer morning. Give him some praise. Give him some shout outs from home. He is worthy of praise all the time. Amen. Amen. All right. Come on. Oh, I've heard a thousand stories of why they think you're like, but I've the tender whisper of love in the dead of night and you tell me that you're pleased and that I'm never alone 
God is worthy of praise each and every day. He is to be proclaimed. His word says that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. As his followers, as those who believe that he sent his son to die on a cross, what better way to start a day? What better way to use the breath we are given than to praise God and give him glory? the mighty God that he is. So from where you are, just let the song flow over you and let your voice out and just praise God with your whole being and proclaiming his glory.
circumstance, for every issue, through everything that you're going through, give God praise. We sing glory in the highest. Sing glory in the highest. Sing glory in the
Heavenly Father, Lord, we exalt you. What an opportunity, Lord, to be in your presence. We know you are here dwelling among us, Lord. We know that you're at work on our behalf. Lord, this morning, pray for patience. I pray to have your eyes, Lord, that you would help us to be a light to the world around us, to shine so that you could be glorified, Lord, so that people would see that who we believe is God is real, that we would get caught up in something bigger than this world. We would get caught up in you, a God who heart sees a God who moves mountains, a God who brings his son out of a tomb. Lord, we should be able to proclaim that with our whole being, not get distracted with things that would cause us to be in this world and of this world. Let us be in this world and not of this world. Let us be about you, Lord. Have a higher calling to do your work and to be your example, Lord. We thank you for an opportunity to worship you. Pray that this morning, It would just center our hearts with joy and peace that we were able to proclaim who you were, Lord. And as we look into your word, Lord, that you would speak powerfully to us. Help us to take your word into our heart and align ourselves with you, Lord. Lord, and I pray for every heart that is watching this, Lord, even a heart that may not know you, Lord, that they would be just welcomed into your presence and they would hear your voice, and they would be drawn to you, and they would want to know the love you have for them, and they want to know who Christ is, and they'd want to know how to have that relationship, Lord. We pray hearts would be changed through this message, Lord. All honor and glory go to you, and we thank you for being an awesome God who deserves all glory and praise. In your name we pray, amen. South Valley, what's going on, you guys? We're so glad that you guys can join us this beautiful Sunday morning. It is crazy to believe that we're halfway through November already. I'm just like flabbergasted by that. And I know some of y'all, some of y'all have been decorating for Christmas already, and you probably started back like in August. So more power to you. We hope that this holiday season that we're entering into is one that just brings you joy, especially in the midst of all that's just been going on in our world over the last several months. We just wanted to take some time right now just to share some information with you. First of all, if you are a part of Rooted, we want to congratulate you for being at your 10th and final week of the virtual Rooted semester. You guys have your Rooted celebration this upcoming Sunday, the 22nd, right? 22nd of November at 530. And we're going to get you the Zoom link for that here pretty soon. It's going to be a great celebration of what God has done. We also want to encourage you to make sure you get those cardboard testimony pictures and videos to me. Uh, You can email them to me or you can go to the Google Drive link that I gave to you via email. But we'll need that by this Tuesday, the 17th. So just make sure you get that to us so that we can prepare accordingly and just celebrate what God has done. Also, we have started in-person services for a good while now, but this last Sunday was our first time being indoors. So we have 9 a.m. service and 10.30 a.m. service with children's ministry operating for the 10.30 a.m. service only, and that's for ages three through sixth grade. And we can accommodate for 100 people per service in the worship center at this time. And so we're going to continue to exercise social distancing, masks, and other safety precautions, all in the effort to make sure that we're being good neighbors and loving our neighbors well in the midst of this pandemic. And so we would love to be able to see you on a Sunday morning in person. We're hoping to continue to have that go until the 29th, where we will hopefully be able to be in the orange tier at that point to allow for more people per service. So just keep your eyes open and ears open for that information. And then we are just continuing with the virtual aspect of it as well for those of you who are enjoying the video services. And then on the 29th, our hope is to be able to have our live services uh, launched on that Sunday. So just keep a, a lookout for that. At this point, we're going to pray for our offering. And if you are part of the South Valley family, this is just our way for us to be able to continue in our aspect of worship, another way uh, through which we can uh, give our praise and thanks to the Lord. If this is your first time here, we don't expect you to give at all. We don't want you to give. We truly want something for you and not from you. And so uh, we're going to pray and we'll continue with the rest of the service. 
Father in heaven, we thank you so much just for your goodness and the ways that you've provided for us. And we just want to give you praise for not just what you've done, but who you are. You are Father God, the creator and author of life. And we're so grateful for your heart. And we just want to use what we have to honor you and to bless you and to further your mission, Lord, that people would come to know and grow in the relationship with you, Jesus. And so we just pray, God, that you would be with um, us through the remainder of the service and that as we head into the rest of this week, God, that we would take heart what your uh, word has been um, speaking to our hearts and that we would love you and love others well. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, guys. You guys have an awesome Sunday, and we'll catch you soon. Bye now. Well, good morning, South Valley. Uh, welcome online. Thank you, John, and the worship team. Uh, I'm driving here just uh, to record this on the Thursday evening, and I saw my first Christmas tree of the season. Whoa, is that it? Are we there to there? Oh, the sooner we get out of 2020, the better. But let's not miss Christmas and Thanksgiving, okay? Uh, uh, this message is called... Putting your foot in it. Uh, let me start. Let me start by telling you how you got here, okay? Biology 101. And if, and if you're a parent and you have a kid listening or watching and you haven't told them how they got here, then send them to the kitchen to get a drink or something or just cover their ears, okay, for the next two minutes. And if they're old enough to sit and listen, and then you should have by now explained to them something about the birds and the bees, Okay? You and I were once sperm. Oh, that's right. Say, say it with me. It sounds kind of dirty to say it when you're not in a biology class. Sperm. Actually, you were one of five million sperm all together in a group. Do you remember? No, so glad we don't, okay? And all of you lined up at a starting line. And at the end of a long, long tunnel, there was one egg. Your life began as a race. And you won. <laughs> Stop to think about it. The odds were five million to one, and you came through. Your, your victory makes an Olympic gold medal look like nothing in comparison, okay? You came through. You're a winner. You're here by divine appointment. You're no accident. Think about it. Think about it. If, you're, if your mother had had a headache that night, you wouldn't even exist. You are a very, very special person. Life began with five million to one odds, but you took the risk. I want to unpack this morning the story of a risk taker, someone we have much to learn from, a hero of mine, and the first character in the Bible that I ever preached about. I was 16 years old, and I taught four preachers in this Old Testament book in a church to a group of young people on a small Scottish island called Millport. And all because this character kept repeating words, or words were given to him that kept being repeated, that gripped me and challenged me. Be strong and courageous. So let me talk about this character, how he was strong and courageous. And it's the Old Testament character called Joshua. And he's got a whole book written about him in the Old Testament. Israel's first prophet and their biggest leader, Moses, had, you know, I, I, Moses had led them through Egypt. He had miraculously helped them across the Red Sea. He'd, he'd take them through the wilderness where for 40 years they were fed on manna and they received the miracle of water coming out of rocks. Well, Moses had died and his replacement, the new kid on the block, the boy stepping into these man-sized shoes was this young man called Joshua. And the book of Joshua, chapter 1, verse 1, starts with a huge weight being laid on his young shoulders. The text says, after the death of Moses. Or, and then it goes on and says, you know, verse 2, the Lord says to him, Moses, my servant, is dead. 
So the Lord spoke to Joshua, now you must lead. This is the beginning of a whole new history in the story of the people of Israel, a new young leader who's going to replace a legend. You can feel the weight on his shoulders. And what's interesting, however, is that the old history, the old generation, finished with the people complaining. You know, even after the Red Sea thing and escaping Egypt and its slave labor camps, the book of Numbers talks about how, you know, the people of God were complaining, we're like grasshoppers. God is calling us to do this big thing, to occupy the promised land, but we've seen the problems that we face and we're like grasshoppers in our own eyes. God's not sufficient. We don't trust that God is really going to enable us to do what He's calling us to do. And the people are complaining and they grumbled and they were living in fear. Dang, do we ever learn? (laughs) Now, I want you to look real carefully. Because in chapter 1 of the book of Joshua, God makes a promise to this new generation on the banks of Jericho. Let's read Joshua chapter 1, and let's read the first nine verses. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country, to the great sea in the west." No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Here's the promise. I'll be with you. Every place you set your foot in the land, I've already gone ahead of you. My power will be available to you. You're not going to undertake the rest of your life on the power of just your own resources I, says God, will be with you. And I want you to see the wonderful way that God underlines this. Look at verse 10. So Joshua ordered the officers of the people, go through the camp and tell the people, get your supplies ready. Three days from now, you will cross the Jordan here to go in and take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you for your own. And the phrase that I want you to look at for a moment is that phrase, three days from now. You might want to underline it. Because there's a pattern in the Old Testament. Very often in the Old Testament, people are told they're going to have to wait a little while for deliverance or, from, or, or for rescue, for God's power to be shown in their lives. And the waiting period is generally three days. You could call it a time of anticipation. But those three days make the trust you are taking feel like a big risk. It's Genesis chapter 40. Joseph says to the cupbearer when he's still in prison, wrongly in prison, in three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your job. Or it's Exodus chapter 3, and Moses asks Pharaoh, let let us go three days into the wilderness. And you may wonder, why three days? Well, In Exodus chapter 19, that gets cleared up. The phrase occurs three more times. God says in verse 11, consecrate your people and make them ready by the third day because on the third day, 
the Lord will come down. And Moses says in verse 15, prepare yourselves for the third day. And in verse 16, it says, and on the morning of the third day, it came to pass. Esther. Esther says that she will fast and guess for how many days? Three days. And then she will go to the king to seek deliverance for the people. Jonah is swallowed up by a large fish. He's in the belly of the fish for how many days? Three days before he's released. The third day is used so frequently this way in the Old Testament that it may simply be a technical expression meaning the short wait for deliverance. The third day, God is going to show up and do what God does. And all of this, of course, is just kind of setting up the day. The Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, for that which was of first importance I passed on to you, that Christ died for our sins, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the, when? The third day, according to the Scriptures. The third day is God's day. The third day is the day when prisoners get set free and mountains shake and rivers get parted. The third day is the day that slave girls face down kings and prophets get dropped off at a seaport by giant fish. It's the third day that the stone gets rolled away and the day a crucified carpenter comes back to life. You and I are third day people. We're betting the farm on this one. You never know what God's going to do on the third day. And we're third day people. People of faith, risk takers, are third day people. Well, God has something extraordinary in mind for Joshua and for Israel on the third day. In Joshua chapter 2, after receiving these promises from God, Joshua sends two spies to Jericho. And when they go into Jericho, Rahab risks her life to protect them. Now, you need to read chapter 2 if you don't know the story of Rahab, but you think about the story of Rahab. If anyone in the town found out what she was up to, that would be the end of her life. She's betting everything she has on the God of Israel. And this is quite remarkable. Despite the fact that she's a pagan and a prostitute, she becomes celebrated in Israel, and she's mentioned in the New Testament books of Matthew. She becomes one of the ancestors of Jesus and mentioned in the book of Hebrews and mentioned in the book of James. She became a hero of faith because she did what God asks people to do. And all that God ever asks people to do is trust me. Trust me. Uh, by the way, according to Joshua 2 verse 22, she hides the spies. Guess how many days they have to hide before they can go free? Three days. Now come with me to Joshua chapter 3. The third day comes in chapter 3. And God's going to do something remarkable on the third day. And here's what you need to see. On the third day, there's something that God's people have to do first. So come with me to Joshua chapter 3, verse 13. God gives fairly lengthy instructions to Joshua. He tells them, that the people are going to cross over the Jordan and the priests are going to carry the Ark of the Covenant, the promised presence of God. And the Ark of the Covenant has to go before the people. It's a way of symbolizing the fact that they're being guided by God as they walk into the promised land, the Ark of the Covenant's to come first. And... Verse 13, he says, As soon as the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, same as the ark of the covenant, the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth 
as soon as the priests who carry the ark set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. Now, to understand the significance of what's going on, we've got to talk a little bit about the River Jordan. It's a very important river in the history of Israel. I want to say something about its significance, okay? It's the eastern boundary, the eastern border of the country of Israel. And as you know, in the ancient world, water was real scarce. So a river was highly valued. And in many countries, the primary river was kind of sacred. So the Nile was and is a sacred river in Egypt, or the Ganges in India is a sacred river, or uh, Scotland is defined by three rivers, the Clyde, the Forth, and the Tay, the Holy Trinity. And depending on what area of Scotland you come from, which one is sacred or holy? It's the Clyde, just so you know, okay? You guys, you, you guys here in Lamar, you have, the, you have the mighty King's River. Well, for four months of the year anyway. You know? Or, of course, you've got the great Mississippi. Okay? Well, the Jordan River was symbolically in Israel, it was a barrier. It's what stood between the people of God who are on this side and the life and the land that God calls them to on the other side. And the Jordan River is something that they have to get across. Moses, his great request to God at the end of Deuteronomy chapter 3 says, I asked God, God, could I cross the river Jordan to see the good land on the other side? And God says, no. It's a barrier to Moses. The Jordan River actually starts up in Mount Hermon and it comes down to the Sea of Galilee and keeps flowing down to the Dead Sea. Uh, so Mount Hermon, where it starts, has an elevation of about 7,000 feet and you know, the Dead Sea is the lowest body of water on the earth. And so this, this water descends a lot and, and a lot of scholars think that Jordan, the word Jordan, comes from a Hebrew word which means river that descends rapidly. So Sorry for the geography lesson, okay? But here's where things get a little bit interesting. Joshua chapter 3, verse 15. Now, the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. So when the people are at the Jordan River right now, it's at flood stage, which means this isn't a little stream that you just walk across. There's no way to get across this. There's no boats, there's no bridges, you can't afford it. There's no way. They've come all this way here to the promised land and there's no way to get across the Jordan and they wonder, what in the world has Joshua done? And I wonder what Joshua's thinking. So God says, I'm going to make a way. I will allow you to cross the Jordan River and I want you to go down and put your foot in the river. And when you put your foot in the river... I'll make a way. Now, imagine. Imagine you are the first priest carrying the Ark of the Covenant. And Joshua says, <laughs> I want you to step into the Jordan River. You're in the river? If it doesn't part and you're down 20 feet, how many options do you have? Do you think it would be a good idea to let go of the Ark of the Covenant? I mean, there's a story in the, New in, in the Old Testament of a guy who touched it, tried to, tried to help, and, and he was struck dead. I don't, I don't think that would be heavy tablets, stone tablets. It's holy. It's sacred. You can't drop the Ark of the Covenant. I, I think if I was the lead priest with the Ark, I think I'd be tempted to say to one of the priests behind me, you know, you know, I think I was in front yesterday. I think it's your turn today. Why don't you go? It's a real sobering thing that God asks his people to do. Don't minimize this chapter 3. And here's the lesson that's going on. God is teaching his people a huge lesson. Israel faced an obstacle. The Jordan is a barrier. 
They've got to get across the Jordan to get to God's life for them. And God's power is sufficient, and God will deliver, and God will make a way. But, 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 you've got to take the first step. They would not see God's power. They would not see this mighty display of God's faithfulness and His sufficiency. They would not see it until they stuck their foot in it. God says, I want you to take one step in the Jordan. And then you're going to see me make a mountain of water. He's teaching his people how it is that trust works. You've got to step in. And to make sure that they would remember when they all got to the other side, God said, (laughs) when they got there, I want you to take 12 men, one from each tribe, and take 12 stones and set them up as an altar so that when your children see it one day, the next generation, you can tell them the story of what happened. Not just the story of God's miraculous opening of the Jordan, but your trust in that God. You tell them, God made a way. God got us across this uncrossable barrier. God did this. And God says, 12 guys, one for each tribe, 12 stones, set them up, make an altar. And guess guess where they were to get the stones from? The River Jordan. They go over to the other side and God says, I want you to walk back into the riverbed now and haul out 12 stones and make an altar. God is teaching his people. I have so much power. And I want to manifest that in your life. But if you want to see my power, you'll have to take the risk. You'll have to take the spiritual risk of trusting me first. To be in a relationship with me and to enter into the kind of life I'm calling you to is going to involve putting your foot in it. It's going to involve the risk of obedience. See, when we talk about obedience, it's very unsexy. But it's not just obedience. It's the risk of obedience. Now, most of the rest of the book of Joshua involves battle stories that are centered around this theme. Will God, will, 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 will Israel trust God enough to do what he says? Will they trust him enough to keep following him? Will they risk obedience enough? And when they do, God's power is manifest in amazing ways. And I would need four four of the next weeks to unpack the rest of the book of Joshua. But one of the great stories and the story that I want to talk about for a little bit is in Joshua chapter 14. And in Joshua chapter 14, verse 10, we come across a man by the name Caleb. And Caleb is one of the 12 spies that Moses had sent out to spy and look at the promised land a long time ago. 12 spies, two were good and 10 were bad. And the two good ones, one was called Caleb and the other was Joshua. Okay? And they were the only two who, when they went to look at the promised land, said, we can surely do it. But because the other ten said, we can't do it. Caleb had to spend 40 years of his life in the wilderness. When he was 40 years old, the next four decades, he can't cross the Jordan. He was 40 when he was the spy. And now 40 years he has to wait just wandering in the wilderness, looking across the Jordan, not being able to go. And so by the time he crosses the Jordan, Caleb is 80 years old. 80 years old. And now, chapter 14, he's five more years older, so Caleb is 85 years old. And listen to what he says. Now then, Just as the Lord promised, he has kept me alive for 45 years since the time he said this to Moses, while Israel moved about in the desert. So, 
He says, chapter 14, verse 10. So here I am today, 85 years old. I'm still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I will. That's a pretty amazing statement for an 85-year-old, isn't it? And it gets even more amazing. Verse 12. Now give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day. You yourself heard then that the Anakites were there. Now, the Anakites, the Anakites were the fiercest, largest enemies that Israel ever faced. Verse 12, their cities were large and fortified, but the Lord helping me, I will drive them out just as he said. 85 years old, this guy, and he asks for the hill country. That's the hardest kind to take. He asked to face the Analekites, Israel's most formidable opponents. This, <laughs> this guy is 85 years old. You think he'd ask for a nice condo at Shalom Acres? What he's asking for is a really hard job. He says, give me one more chance to cross the Jordan, one more chance to do a really hard thing for God, one more chance to trust him. I'm 85 years old, 45 years I've been waiting for this chance. Don't let me miss it now. I'm going to trust you as an 85-year-old. So what are you, 55, 65, 75, 85? I was at a church last Sunday, and there was a lady there who was going to be 100 in February. So what are you, 55, 65, 75, 85? And are you a holy risk taker still? Or do you just play golf and quilt? Now, let's spend the final few minutes in this message at a more personal level. I want to ask you, where's your Jordan River? Where is God asking you to take a step of faith? Because here's what I know. Everybody listening this morning faces their own Jordan. Everybody listening faces barriers that try to prevent us from entering into the life that God has for us. Every, every one of us faces a Jordan that requires the risk of obedience. And God says, I've already gone ahead of you. I'll be there. Every step you, every step you take, I've occupied the land but you've got to choose. And stepping into the Jordan, whatever your Jordan is, is always, it, it, it always involves overcoming fear. That's why in Joshua chapter 1, God says over and over again to Joshua, be strong and courageous. Where are you afraid? God's power generally gets released when somebody trusts him enough to obey him. And some people spend their whole life standing scared on the banks of the Jordan, waiting for the waters to part. Okay, God, you part the water first, and then I'll make the first step. Or... Uh, but God, make it a little bit easier for me. You know, give me whatever it is that I need first before I have to take that step of faith. Maybe, maybe you're tempted to think, God, God, give me lots of money and then I'll be generous. You're going to wait a long time if you choose that path. Do you trust God? <laughs> this, is a, this is a pastor joke, so my apologies. Pastor Schmidt answered the phone. Hello, is this the Reverend Schmidt? It is. This is the IRS. Can you help us? I can. Do you know a David Anderson? Oh, I do. Is he a member of your congregation? He is. Did he donate $10,000 to the church? He will. <laughs> the whole adventure 
It's stepping into the Jordan. But you've got to step into the Jordan. No one can do that for you. You've got to put your foot in it. Life began as a race. You entered this world beating the kind of odds that you couldn't even get in Vegas. You started, and you started making sure that you beat the odds and you won the race. But now, but now, some of you maybe used to get into the river on a regular basis. But somewhere along the line, you kind of got comfortable sitting on the bank. And it may feel pretty safe, but I want to tell you something. It's not. Because you can't be safe where God isn't. And God isn't on the bank. God's in the river. God's power is available to people who are willing to take the first step and trust Him and take a spiritual risk. Come on over. There's a life of adventure and meaning and joy awaiting. Put your foot in it. Let's pray. Oh God, that's a tough one because it means shaking off our comfort and getting out of our comfort zones and being bold and brave and taking a risk. And people don't always like risk takers. And sometimes it doesn't always go the way that we thought it would go. But you call us to an adventure of life. And we ask that you would embolden us and imagine what would happen if the people of South Valley Community Church returned again to being risk takers and risk obeying the God that we worship. Help us become people <laughs> who keep putting our foot in it and entering into the life you have for us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Have a bold week this week, folks, and live adventurously. God bless.